What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the show about album retrospectives with the artists who made them. Let's roll. What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbow, and today we're living with a pod complex as we discuss the Trustkill Records release, California, by the band First Blood. Among other things, we'll find out, is that a good name for an album? We'll also talk about the red first effing blood hoodie that was omnipotent on this time. And we're doing it all with band mastermind Carl Schwartz, who you may remember as being the hero of the story of a previous episode for Terror's Always the Hard Way. Carl was a member of that hardcore juggernaut as well as First Blood band member Big Doug, who you'll hear him reference in the origins of the band. And we also kind of go through Carl's connections to the Roadrunner catalog, bands that kind of influenced him and the sound of First Blood. It's a really cool conversation. Carl's a great guy. And so without further ado, I bring you to that now. I mean, at that point, we had already been doing the band for four years, I guess. But Big Doug was the guy, I mean, he played guitar. He was the original guitar player in First Blood with you know, with Kyle and Tony, and we had already started the band after another band we'd been in together. This was like Sworn Vengeance days where we were, I don't know, trying to, you know, trying to be a legit band, I guess, as the kids call it. I don't know. We were putting a lot of time into recordings and get shit together, and that fell apart, and so it's like, oh, you know, it, it, it sucks when you put a lot of effort into a band, like, you, you know, you really care about something, and it just falls apart, and then I was kind of like over kind of over. I was going to take a break for a while. And then, you know, Big Doug used to call me at work every day and uh, gosh, just, just talk, whatever. And he's like, Hey, we got I'm starting a new band. And I'm like, Oh, great. Cool. He's like, you want to play? I'm like, uh, kind of like one of those things. Where I was like, nah, you know, I was like just feeling like down. And then he's like, no, 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 not, not playing bass or nothing or guitar. Like you want to sing? I'm like, what? Like, I've never done this before. Like, I'm, you know, it got me curious. I was like, yeah, all right, I'll try it. Sure. So it's like we showed up in a practice more like a, like a shed, like up, like a, like a, yeah, kind of like a big shed up in, up in the mountains. It was, it was down south of San Francisco at the time. It was like Los Gatos. We knew some guy who had this spot where we can practice and it was literally up in the forest, like literally first blood style, like the movie when he <laughs> runs up, <laughs> he runs up into the forest and there's nothing there. And all of a sudden there's this shed. It's big enough for like a drum kit and some gear and it's got some power. So I heard the first song we, we suffocate together. I was like, oh my God, okay. Oh, 
Alright, I can see this being fun. And so it's kind of like, it was like dudes coming together and like Kyle had some riffs, you know, we put drum beats to them. They had an idea of like what they wanted to do. I was like, alright, we gotta, no, no, let's tighten this part, let's, you know, drop the drums down on this part kind of thing. And it's like, you know, it, we, we kind of put it together five songs real quick like just put out a demo just to do it and just put it on the internet for nothing kind of thing so at that point it was just like we didn't think it would go anywhere it wasn't like a project or like a real band we were just like okay you know i never sang before so it was like even in the, in the studio i was like i didn't even know what i wanted to sound like all i know is i like hate breed and earth crisis so i was trying to sound like in between that so i was trying to go deep like like like, like jamie and I was like, oh, I can't do that. Like, I lost that in like a couple seconds. And so I started getting higher and higher. I'm like, all right, so I'm starting to sound. This it just feels easier for me to do. If, I don't know, but I guess this is the way I scream. I guess you know, I had no idea. It was just like, it was just fun. It was just just trying sh things out and see how where it, where it went. And that was like the first four years of the band. Like we'd play a show, I'd lose my voice in like, you know, one song. And then try to, you know, play a five song set every now and then. Like we didn't, we didn't do much because Tara was on tour all the time. We weren't like a serious thing, but you know, in the back of my head, I was always trying to think about songs, write songs. I had ideas and stuff like that, but never took the time to do it until later on where I was like, all right, I'm just going to, man, it's four years gone by, did nothing. So now we're just going to like, now I'm just going to sit down and try to make this happen. Right. So that's, that's how it like picked up like around. You know, that that's 2006-ish or 2005 is when we were in the studio. We were both in the studio around the same time recording stuff and then just waiting for it to come out that like that next year. Well, with you and Doug being in Terror and at that time, Terror is just on top of the world. I mean, not to say that they're not still, but, you know, they're really on fire. So you must have really believed in or wanted to have something that was more your own to want to separate yourself from that, right? That must have been a, a big decision or was it not a big deal at all? Back then, like, yeah, there was a lot of hype with Terror, and it was like a machine. Like, on tour, it was a machine. Like, everyone, like, like this, the machine just kept going. Like, I, I knew being in that band, like, I wasn't, like, the creative dude in that band. I wasn't the guy who sat down, wrote songs, got in the studio, you know, showed Scott or Nick or whatever, you know, here's some, here's a song I wrote, blah, 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 let's do this. Like, I just knew that wasn't my my role in the band. Like, I, I decided, I, I took, like, I just did everything I could to keep the machine going. Like I always tried to, I tried to design all the merch, manage all that stuff, like keep everything like in stock on tour. Like, I don't want to say like the business end, but it was like, just, just keeping the machine rolling, like kind of thing. Like I knew I wasn't like the songwriter that, that wasn't my, my role in the band. Right. And maybe I tried at some point, like later on, but I was like, I, I don't know. I just, just, I don't know. I, I, I just couldn't put, together stuff like it just wasn't the way i was thinking you know i was thinking more like heavier like i guess more moshy like not, not beat down but just like just heavy heavy mosh like that that's that's why i always thought about first blood on the side you know so when it got to the point where i was like i was just exhausted on tour like mentally kind of drained like i just wanted to do my own thing it was yeah it was a tough decision to leave a band that was like they're just like kind of ferocious like they just were just animals on the road like it just no matter what kept it going kept it going pushing through like rough tours rough drives rough everything right to do something now again from the start with maybe a little bit of hype because trust kill was going to put out the record and stuff like that but it was like on your own like doing this thing now it's like getting in the studio coming up with 
all right, this is the stuff you got to put out. This is the stuff you're writing. This is like your test, right? Now you got to put songs together that, you, you know, are legit. Like, don't just like throw some stuff together. But even with that, like mindset, it was, it was still kind of rushed. Like, like I got off my last tour with those guys at the time. And then I was like, I had to hit the studio right away, you know, try to finish demoing stuff out. And it, it was still like crazy. It was still a rush. I was still worried, like concerned about how I could scream like a whole, album worth of songs like with i don't know backups and everything and never doing that really on my own before so i was like still at that point trying to just find out what my voice could handle and what it's what my what my voice was you know there's so much uncertainty at the time it's still like we're just talking right now i'm like 20 years into it and i'm still figuring out how to yell like back then it was like a panic it was like oh crap we only have a week we had two weeks in the studio and a week of it was like, I don't know, going over, you know, editing drums and you know, getting all the sounds and all that kind of stuff in the studio. It was like, oh, crap. It was an exciting time, man. It was, it was just crazy. There was nothing like nothing went as planned, but it just it just everything worked out in the end. Like everything got recorded. Everything came out. And at the time, you just wish you always had more time and more. Uh, yeah, you always wish you had more time to plan and go over stuff. and and see it differently but that's the way it was that's just like a moment in time that album is just that's the way it was that's how it came together we'll be back after a quick break if you love good music and good podcasts you'll love roots music rambler i'm jason falls my co-host francesca folinazzo and i talk to the singers songwriters musicians and more in americana alt country bluegrass folk blues and beyond we share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode come get to the roots of the music you love find us at rootsmusicrambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to roots music rambler Were you still kind of figuring out what you wanted First Blood to be in the sense of, so I know those early shows you're saying were just kind of like fun. And I know a lot of times you guys kind of did the full gimmick of the the Rambo aspect of it, you know, um, with the, I don't want to say costumes, but that's probably not a, a bad way to put it. You kind of dressed up like you were guerrilla warfare, but, you know, lyrically, the the songs are not goofy, you know, uh, even though this album is called California, which is kind of silly. And, you know, you guys have this Rambo thing like, you know, the message yeah. that you're putting out seems very serious. So was that important to you also to be able to kind of get that out? The, the lyrics were always important to me. Like, I, I even to this day, like, yeah, um, maybe you run into this, this dilemma where you kind of take things too seriously, where it, it doesn't actually get through to kids anymore. Right. So as I feel like that's sort of like this give or take kind of kind of gray area. Like, but yeah, I mean, I, I came from like. Yeah, I guess the whole vegan straight edge, like very militant, like that whole running with the, you know, the whole Rambo camo get up and all, you know, it was like a very serious vibe, I guess, you know, and, and the lyrics were really important to me because I didn't want it to just be about like explosions and, you know, Rambo messing up a whole bunch of enemy soldiers kind of thing. Like, yeah, I, I wanted to, 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 to scream about stuff that was like, I guess, more thoughtful, I guess, stuff that I, I really cared about. Trying to put that to music that was like, you hear something in your head, like, oh, this is, this is the way I, this is the soundtrack for this, these lyrics I had. This is what I'm thinking. And it maybe it doesn't work out that, that way. Like in the beginning, it was more like a raw, just straight up kind of like a hardcore mosh sound. 
and then it became more metal because we were just like listening to more like metallic influences at the time like kind of crossing over not death metal but just like the kind of direction where like a lot of these metallic bands at the time was like it just didn't sound like the way it was when we put the demo out it was just straight up like a like a raw like more traditional heavier hardcore sound it was like getting more technical like double bass and it just sounded a little more metallic right so it was harder for me i guess to try and put the lyrics to that but i, I mean either way no matter what we had i was gonna you know, I took the lyrics seriously. The The idea that the album was called California was 100% like not mine at all. You know, I, I probably voiced right away is like, I don't want that. But it was like, whatever. I was like, okay, whatever. That was like the compromise. It was like, I, you know, all I care about right now is getting in the studio and getting all this stuff recorded. Like, you guys want to deal with the artwork and the whole name of the album? That's your thing. Okay, go for it. You know, so I was just a dude in the studio doing all the guitars and bass and working with the drummer we had at the time, working with, with Zach in the studio, just getting, just trying to get the sound, trying to get everything down. California was just like the whole, I don't know, this whole West Coast rap kind of vibe kind of thing going on. I wasn't a part of, like, I just wanted to get the album out. Just the lyrics, the music, all that kind of stuff. California was not me. But, I mean, that's just what it is. That's what it is. That's what, you know what I mean? Was there something that you wanted to name the album that got vetoed? Like, what would you have named this? I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. I don't I don't think I even thought about stuff like that. I just wanted to get the songs done. And at, at the time, I didn't even think. It was one of those things where... Dudes were dead set on what's called California, and they had this like stage, this whole scene with like cops and dudes getting arrested. I'm like, all right, if you can pull that together, make it happen. We'll see. You know what I mean? But I, di I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't my focus at the time. I just wanted to get it done. I wanted to make sure it sounded good. You know, the lyrics were on point, as you know, at least from for the most part, other than like some of like the, you know, the ridiculous songs where it's just like, you know, obviously just like a tongue in cheek kind of thing. But yeah, I just want I was just trying to look at the bigger picture of just getting the whole production. The artwork and, you know, I guess, I don't know, label stuff is always trying to do promos and marketing and get all that stuff ramped up. Stuff I still don't even really follow or understand right now. I, all I care about is just, just writing it all, getting the music done. So was that the idea for that that layout, like the artwork? It was supposed to look like California is this hard place where there's cops and it's nighttime. It, it wasn't me. Like our old guitar player Kyle worked at this like like a rap label kind of distro. It's still there, I'm pretty sure to this day. And it was like a lot of a lot of like San Francisco, a lot of Bay Area rappers, like gangster rap dudes. Rap. Just that the artwork. It was like some I can't remember the name of the guy, but the you know, it's like, it, it, it's like, it, it's realistic photos, but it's kind of got this like effect on it to where it looks like it might be like airbrush or like posterized. Or so. I can't, can't really explain the effect, but there was like a lot of rappers at the time that had this sort of like this filter put on this artwork. And it just looked like at the time, it just looked really it, it looked cool, like gritty. I think that was the whole vibe they were going for with that. Like they wanted to rent a cop car, like have their friends, like, I was getting busted by the cops, something like this and that. I'm like, seemed a little bit overboard in my head, but like, all right, I, 
I left it to them to try and make that happen. Eventually it didn't. So we just, we had a friend go out with us and we just, just drove all around the city, just taking pictures, like even around like the neighborhood I lived in at the time, like in the Tenderloin down to like the docks where in that warehouse where you, the, the cover photo is actually taken. You're standing inside this warehouse and it was so dark. It was, you literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I was like, man, I can't even tell. Why are we in here? He's like, trust me, trust me. He set up the camera and he had like the exposure on for like, I don't know, five minutes, you know, just on a tripod. It's like, it'll just sit there and it'll, it'll just keep soaking in whatever light it can until it takes a photo. I'm like, all right, man, I trust you. We'll see what happens. And he shows us a photo. I'm like, whoa, this is like where we are. It, It was crazy. It was just like, we ended up going with that idea. And then Josh Trustfield just, you know, sent out the artwork with, I think, Guav, all the typography and all that kind of stuff. And literally rolling around San Francisco, just taking photos from like, just all the areas, like where, like the old clubs we'd play, like the neighborhood I lived in, just like stuff around, just, just around the city. And there's that huge posse photo in the, in the artwork too. Who are all these people that are in that picture? It's just all guys we went to shows with from the Bay at the time. Like all our friends, everyone that we just knew. Everyone was like, I think we just said, hey, we're going to be taking a picture down by a, we used to play at this club called The Pound, and it was like just down by the, by these like, these old warehouses, and everyone just rolled up in there, and some dude just jumped on top of a truck and said, hey, everyone, look at the camera, we're like, all right, and that was it. It was like a quick pick, and then we're done. Like that whole thing, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it was just, everything was thrown together so fast. It was just, it's 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 sort of like the spontaneity of it all. Like we just did it. We just did it. We just wanted to get it done. Like for me, I didn't really care so much about all these uh, photo shoots and getting all this stuff together. And, you know, let's talk about something that you did care about, because I've heard you (laughs) say before, speaking of the Bay area, that you wanted this album to sonically sound like burn my eyes by machine head. Oh my God. Yes, for sure. Yeah, because like Zach, Zach Orman, the guy who produced like the engineer, like just basically his, like Castle Ultimate was the studio, like tons of the bands in the Bay were going to at the time. I remember just telling him like, like I don't know how you do this. Like, I, I knew that a lot of the other recordings he had done sounded really good, but it's like, I want to, I want to try to take this like n- next level. He's like, well, do you got any references? I'm like, I just gave him like one CD and like a few songs burned on it. I think it was mostly Machine Head. Like, can you make it sound like this? Like, I want to have, like the drums on this record sound just huge. The guitars sound so, like so crisp, like bright and crunchy. Like, like for that kind of recording for that time, I thought that like the production was, was amazing. Like ahead of it, it was just awesome. Like, I want it to sound like this. Can you, can you make this happen? He's like, yeah, you know, we can try. We'll do, you know, like he was super, he's super chill, but the dude's like brilliant. He's like, I guess he used to like program video games back in the day before he got into like, like audio production and just, you know, running that studio. And like, I mean, later on, like, I guess Machine Head did something, was it last year or during the, when they did that anniversary, like Burn My Eyes, like all the dudes were in Shark Bite Studio. That's where we ended up doing the drums for the album after that. But I'm pretty sure Zach was the guy who put all that together, like engineered that whole live recording session. So it was like, I think, I mean, this is sort of like weird, like kind of putting the times backwards right now. But like back then, I was like, I just want to make the record sound like this as much as you can. Like, 
I think he did a pretty good job. Like I think when I still listen to that now and I'm trying to like do demos like on my own, like at home here, like I always try to like, how can I at least even try to make my demos sound sort of like this just to get me more pumped about like new ideas that I'm trying to record. And I just can't understand how he can make that recording. It, it just sounds, everything, you know, when you open up like a, like a file in Pro Tools or Logic or something like that, you can see all the different like waves, you know, the, the peaks and valleys of like something that's being recorded, like a guitar track or something like that. I would look at the master track of all the recordings from California and it just looked like a, like, like a straight flat bar. <laughs> like, I don't know how he maxed out like every single frequency he could to make it sound just tremendous and everything without like anything overloading. But I, he, the dude was a genius. Like he just, he made something like songs we threw together kind of quick. Some were just older songs redone. But I think the fact that he, you know, he, he tried to make him, you know, make that album sound like on that level of, of Burn My Eyes. Like he, I, I think he definitely was like a, a huge push for us. Like, like would have helped a lot. Like, Maybe some of those songs wouldn't have hit as hard if it just didn't sound as good as that's the way that guy put it together. Right. So that was a huge thing, getting the sound. Right. Even to this day, I would still listen to that. Like, Man, this is an incredible recording. You know? Yeah, because the songs are, you know, kind of simple, but they sound just like devastating. It doesn't just sound like overly compressed or whatever, like kind of albums around this time did. Yeah, I guess when you listen to a lot of stuff now, like they kind of, a lot of it has that really processed sound. Like I'm not saying it, it's not bad. It's just like I, I think about a lot of it. Sometimes you, you feel like you you hear it a lot over and over again. But when you hear a recording like that, I'm just like, I guess it's super loud and I guess punchy. Like everything just punches out really, really hard. But it doesn't sound like artificial. I think if we were to do another album like again, I would love to go back to Zach again, just to bring it back full circle to like the first album to get it to sound like that again. But you mentioned hate breed and earth crisis, which are obvious uh, influences on first blood, both sonically. And I would imagine uh, <laughs> philosophically <laughs> and um, a couple of years after California, you do back when, back when you're in like the FBI area, you're, you're calling our calling the, the fans of first blood. We're in the FBI. Now I vividly remember that, but you uh, <laughs> You put out like a covers album and it had Hate Breed, Earth Crisis, who both had albums with Roadrunner. We're talking about Machine Head. They were on Roadrunner. Were there other like metal bands or bands like that that uh, that you were really into, whether First Blood was musically influenced by it? Were you personally into anything like that? For sure. All of that. When you listen to California, I was like, I wanted to have like a lot of like the, the chug and like really the fast kicking things that all match like the kick drum and have everything really synchronized. For me, it's like, that's like Fear Factory style, right? That's exactly what I would have in my head. Roadrunner would definitely had a, was a huge part of like my cassette collection, I guess you can say at the time. Like Suffocation, yeah, definitely listened to a lot of that. Like, plus those dudes were Long Island guys, I'm pretty sure. That's where I grew up. Biohazard, Machine Head, Life of Agony. Was Obituary on uh, Roadrunner, like World Demise, like when it was kind of like crossing over into like the... Man, that's so like sick that you said that because World Ruby. Demise is my favorite obituary, and I feel like it gets overlooked for those first couple so much. Yeah, it's like that the groove, this is like the sound of that. Like I can even remember they'd have these weird, like kind of like it sounded like floor tom samples or something, like really processed. And then if you listen like later on, like the album after California, I straight up tried to rip off stuff where it would have like like these little samples going from like left to right. And if you listen with headphones and stuff like that, just straight up ripping off. Like I, I want to do stuff like that. 
like the way obituary did stuff on that record because it was just it was awesome you know move your head and like this is like just the feeling you got from listening to that stuff like not necessarily like sitting back oh what notes are they playing or what are they tuned to or what gear are they using it was just like the overall feel like yeah all those roadrunner records like that was just like the story of my metal music days like growing up as a kid like a teenager just picking up whatever guitar i could like a, a borrow a bass from somebody try to figure out how to play that and you know, and then later on when that FBI record, like, I mean, I did that all on my laptop. That's like my first thing trying to figure out how to like just really record stuff. And then I would just, you know, just do the vocals wherever I could. But it was a lot of that. I mean, it was, did a Biohazard song? No, the Urban Discipline. Oh my God, listen to that record so much as a teenager, like so much. Like, like I, it was to the point where I, I, I would ruin the cassette and I'd have to get another one somehow or get my friend like maybe a copy of it just because I just remember just playing that, I just played that to death in high school. Um, there was, I guess there was a bunch of other songs I probably would have recorded for that at the time. I saw demos on my old hard drives of songs that didn't actually make, I just didn't have time because I tried to get it done by like Christmas time that year. <laughs> a lot of that, a lot of that's all roadrunner stuff, you know. That's just the, that's the memories of being a, a metalhead as a kid, you know. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You mm -hmm. feel me? Loading them up on it, it only takes structure, and, and you know just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah, know what I mean. So do. Do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying. Oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Damn, yeah. We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta lie. Don't play with it. Take that shit serious. First Blood actually did tour with uh, metal bands around the California era. We definitely did, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. I think later that year, I mean, it was a, it was like a monster. I think it, was, it might have been called Monsters of Mayhem or something. Monsters, of, not Monsters of Rock, but it was a. I, I remember hearing about the tour. I was like, oh my god! And then somebody, I think maybe Josh at Trust was like, hey, we got a chance to get on this tour. I was like, what? It was like Hatebreed, Exodus, Napalm Death. Black Dahlia Murder, I think Despised Icon. Um, but that was like one of the biggest tours we did that year when California came out. You know, we definitely toured with Sick of It All, Comeback Kid, and Ignite. We had like some some good tours that the uh, first couple years to push that album. It, it was great. But definitely we had our, we shared the stage with like a bunch of metal bands. And I think kids, they just liked it because it was heavy, you know? It was different. Like, Hatebreed brings out tons of different kids. I think at the time, I don't know how about so much now. Maybe I just don't pay attention as much. I just go out there and just try to yell at kids and just feel better when I'm done. You know, but back then, I guess when we played with metal bands, like, yeah, I think it went over, you know, it went over pretty good for the most part. You know, I think this kid just wanted to come out and hear something heavy and forget about life for like, I don't know, a few hours and then go home again. Was so, Kyle still in Embrace the End at this time? Because they're pretty heavy. Yeah, I mean, at the time, like, I mean, that was all right before First Blood started, right? Like, like Embrace the End was super heavy. 
that whole kind of like really old unearthed vibe that undying kind of vibe like you kind of classify them as a hardcore band at the time but they were just super metallic and crazy and all of a sudden they drop into some breakdown and be like oh my god like how do these guys think of this stuff it takes like something crazy in the brain to write like music and stuff like that actually went on tour with embrace what am i saying but kyle wasn't in the band anymore with them he wasn't torn he wasn't with them he wasn't with them well i know that uh you were saying that you know some of the the lyrics on here are a little bit more tum- tongue tongue in cheek um but most of them seem fairly serious but of course the first song next time i see you you're dead could come off as goofier than other ones but is it that is that actually about a person that you would like to murder or have murdered since no not at all <laughs> no not at all and i mean i, I mean I, I guess yeah it's, it's hard to really say you take the lyrics seriously on an album when the first thing you hear is like some ridiculous you know it, it, it's yeah it's pretty outrageous but i mean that's that song is like originally like a joke right it was just like something we demoed out on tour with the guys you know like nick and big doug like when we were off a of territory, we just like, man, we were sitting at Nick's house for like, I don't know, a few days or a week between tours. We didn't even really have time to really drive back to the base. We just sat down in LA and, and did the original. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't even want to talk about this song. It was like, <laughs> you know, by today's standards, like forget about it. Like it was, it was just, it was just an ignorant to put it, just an ignorant demo, right? Just something just to put And I was like, you know what? Maybe we can just, change this around and make it actually make this a song we could use i think we did some demo at some other studio up up i think north of san francisco like just with another drum where we were playing with at the time and then finally when it was on california it was like yeah this was a ridiculous song but it was like at the same time it's like also i think something that a lot of people just could relate to i think it went from being like a ridiculous over the top like song about this like you know killing beating people like just being r- ridiculous to like you know, like just trying to think about all the, the the times and the places and the people in your life that kind of, you know, have rubbed you wrong. And it's like, you just, just just forget about them. Just, just forget about them and move on. And like, just as if they were dead kind of thing, you know, trying to make a, a, an over the top song that was like, sort of like irredeemable into something that could be, all right, some kids will scream that out loud. And then they'll hear like some of these lyrics behind it. It's like, yeah, I can relate to this crap. You know what? But, uh, for the most part, I would say most of the lyrics on that record, aside from like the first two songs where like it's sort of like these ridiculous or like first blood lyrics, like lines from the movie basically put into like a, a like a metallic mosh song. Right. I mean, the rest of them sort of like dabbled into politics, like a little bit into this sort of like, you know, this, 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 uh, this vibe of something more than just what goes on in a mosh pit or like, like in a, you know, a, like a whatever scene drama or something like that. It was trying to talk about some bigger things, stuff that I would think about all the time. Like, man, what is, like, this is stuff I just want to yell about and get off my chest. Looking back now, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was just just important for me at the time. Just just think about stuff like that, some stuff that I took seriously rather than completely making it, a, you know, just like a movie quote kind of gimmick you know what i mean well there's definitely nothing cooler than saying your own band's name in a song and i mean that sincerely so the fact that you have a song called first blood and then you just say first fucking blood in it which you continue on in the next album you're like oh we need to bring that back because on preamble you also say first fucking blood right before the breakdown that's actually Uh, very sick and what's also (laughs) sick 
that yeah. whole beginning of the song is sick because it starts off you can hear you take the breath before you just scream yeah that's cool then you just scream a non-word and then say first fucking blood i mean that's all my favorite things <laughs> at one time <laughs> i mean was it i wish i could tell you that was all planned but that was uh i can guarantee you that was just some I want the song. We'll just we'll just start the song off as pissed off as we can. So I just scream as loud as I can, and you gotta like suck in everything just to get all that breath for something like that. No, it definitely wasn't calculated, right? I mean, this is just trying to get just get it done. Get get some heavy vibe out there, you know. But then it does go into conspiracy, which seems like it's probably about nine eleven, which you talk about again on uh, Silence's Betrayal. With, but on Silence's Betrayal, you go ahead and add the planes flying into buildings just to make sure that there's no confusion. Is this uh, something that you think about a lot? Just kind of like that that concept of being lied to by everybody. Or is it that specific event that's very personal to you? I know you are originally from New York, but yeah, I mean it's like, I mean this is me trying to go back to those years. I mean, cause, I mean people change over time. I definitely the way I look at things have definitely, I wouldn't say changed, but definitely have shifted. But like I could, if I can think back to when, like a song like Conspiracy, it's like I just, I remember hearing the vibe of that song when we were putting the you know getting the music and trying to arranging it all and it had a lot of these like spurts of like you know just like really fast parts and kick drums that really kind of reminded me like it was you know anyone who's who's listened to a lot of these like conspiracy documentaries and stuff like that about 9-11 you know at this point talking about it it's hard to like to talk about it and you know i just want to be sensitive about it for people who are like really affected by this you know this is yeah, I, I grew up not far from New York. My, for me, it's like visiting the city as a kid was like a, it was like a, it was always like a big moment for me. Like just it was, you know, a lot of kids say, yeah, we're going into this, you know, we're going into the city. It's like for me, it's like going into the city. I was like going into like the, the biggest city ever, right? And it seemed like everywhere else where I would go, you know, I'd go out with my aunt, and she'd always take me down to Chinatown. We get lunch together, and she worked literally just a couple blocks away. I think three or four blocks tops from the trade center at the time. And I remember when those things went down, like all the, all, all the phone lines were down for, I don't know how many days. And it was literally days before I even heard from her because like all the subways were shut. You know, she lived up in Yonkers at the time working in downtown, like just a few blocks from the, from the towers. Like that was such a crazy time. And then all the stuff that happened after that, you know, I mean, I, it's hard to think about, it's hard to feel like you weren't being, it, it, you, it wasn't completely honest, right? It's kind of discouraging. I, I feel like that a lot of people are forgetting about it or just don't even know about it. You know, like some of these, like, I don't know, borderline comedians like interview kids on the street and they just ask them like what year 9-11 happened and they, they have no idea. Like some of these kids weren't even born yet. It's like such a, for me, that was like a defining moment. That was like the, the biggest, you know, one of the most 
it's like one of those things where people remember where they were when Kennedy was killed kind of thing. Like, I remember where I was when that all happened. You know, I used to love going in the city to see my grandma and my aunt. And, and then walk around and you always saw those two huge towers and now they're just gone. I can't believe they're gone. I don't know, I think a lot of it was just anger, a lot of it was frustration about like, how could that happen, how could anyone let it happen, rather than anyone really going out, especially myself saying like, I know what happened, or I know what didn't happen, like, I mean, will we ever know what really happened? Did, you know what I mean? It's, at least I can sit here and say that I don't know, right? And I, I, I'm, I but I'm curious to really know, like to feel like, to. You know, what it would be like to really know what happened that day, but I'll probably never know, right? What people went through, not just in New York City, but just down in the Capitol, like, it's crazy. It was such a crazy time. It was a defining moment. It was, there was so much involved with it. I was fascinated by it. You know, some people could say it was like, in a sense, like the whole conspiratorial sense, but like, I mean, it was, it was kind of hard to read into that whole event without diving or falling into that whole circle you know so it's like it was those kind of things those defining moments those big real life you know events that you know those are the things i wanted to, to sing about like that's why it just made it into my lyrics and like the the direction i guess vocally for the for the band you know those were like just some huge issues you know and that song musically i think is a lot different than most of the other songs on the album, because kind of like what you mentioned before, it's got a lot of really chaotic parts throughout it that are, are sh stranger rhythms than, you know, some of the more simpler stuff later on. Yeah, for sure. Like that's definitely one of the songs that was more into that metal metallic direction, right. Than than being just like a, you know, like a straightforward mosh band, right. This was definitely getting, it was a little, I wouldn't say not tech, but it was like definitely like, like, Chaotic, I guess, is one way to put it, right? But I, I still feel like a lot of stuff was locked together, like the whole wanted everything, the music to come together, like the, like I was saying, the, the guitars and the kick drums synchronized and everything, like Fear Factory style kind of vibe. But it still had like super heavy parts, just like the, the ending breakdown was just one of these droning breakdowns that went on forever, where I kind of slipped in like one of the first samples I've ever used, I think. on a first blood album was like at that moment besides the demo with all these like the rambo samples and stuff like that but like definitely diving into those like more serious kind of samples like it was definitely it was like a recording from like the fireman who made it up i can't remember what floor it was like on the south tower where they they thought that they could the fires that they saw they would be able to put them out with like a couple lines blah 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 like i forget the exact quotes but it was like it just got me thinking like and that was like a lot of the you know and maybe those samples were used in a lot of conspiracy movies at the time about 9-11. So it was, it was, I guess it was just thought provoking at the, at the least to like, to, to put that in there. Cause that's what the song was about. And the whole vibe at the end of sort of this, this droning heavy breakdown that went over and over and over. It just come, almost came, it was like this hopeless feeling, you know, like we're just, you know, just trying to imagine like the feeling of people who were trapped in there. It was, it was horrible. Right. And they, they probably, a lot of them got to this point where they thought they were just weren't going to make it out. And 
unfortunately, like a lot of people didn't. The song Unbroken, which was on the EP and also is kind of like the last song on here, probably the sickest song too, always reminds me of when you had that drummer that had ex-vegan-ex tattooed on his neck. <laughs> yeah. And then ate cheeseburgers and drank beer. But he was on that show, uh, Parental Controls, on MTV. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's the first time I thought of that in the ages. Yeah, dudes or girls or kids or somebody would come up on like random tours. Like, hey, wasn't your drummer on this show? I'm like, uh, I don't think I lived anywhere at the time. So I definitely didn't have TV. So I was like, man, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about what she's like yeah it's some show on tv or mtv like doesn't mtv play music videos I'm like no no it's a show where they try to like date some uh you know somebody and meet their parents i'm like all right yeah i don't know i didn't know so much about the show but i get i get what you're saying like at the time i mean what the song's about or like the whole vibe like well what the song's about i mean he ended up kind of like personifying like you <laughs> yeah i guess it's a bit prophetic or I, I, the incorrect use of the word irony. Like, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, that was like one of the raw, like vibes of like the demo eras. I was like writing songs, like the whole, just like straight in your face kind of lyrics was like definitely that whole straight edge vibe or that vegan vibe or that like sort of militant vibe, the whole tongue in cheek thing. But at the same time, like just actually being pumped about it, you know, dudes will like go out and live their life and, and you know wave this flag about you know about what they're all into and how they and i mean i'm not making judgments on anybody on anybody because like when i'm i i see things differently now than i did when i was younger like i get it people change and people you know people it's it's a, it's a weird way to put it. I, I still use it today. Like of all the times we've done like festivals and stuff like that, seeing them like like it's, I never really saw them, right? I never really actually sat down and watched the whole Youth of Today set until like a few months ago, and I was like, wow! Like these, I, I had this like imagery in my head about how Youth of Today looked like, you know, in the '90s. Like you used to see all like the album covers. It's like like the fist in the air, you know the you know the the high tops and the jumps and everything and then like here i am seeing them now in 2022 i was like wow and they killed it like there was tons of people there and he said something on stage capital said something like yeah man it's like it's one thing i've learned after all these years is like we put so many we put so many labels on ourselves and each other right and, and all it does is it gives another reason to like separate people Right. By different labels. And like I had already been thinking about this in my own in my head, just like my own experiences for years and years. Like I'm this, I'm that like I, you know, I'm vegan, I'm straight edge. Like and I feel like in the end, like that definitely alienated so many people. Right. Like I, I think maybe some people felt trapped or some people felt like unhappy. And they, they a lot of especially a lot of people were like super militant about stuff and super extreme. They ended up going like in the other direction like i don't know out of defiance or just out of I, I don't know some malfunction in their brain or something like i don't know like just something a lot of these labels like it, it tore people apart and I, I don't know if that at the time of writing unbroken it was like yeah it was like sort of like holding contempt or like like you were just like you were calling out people who sold out like sold out like what does that even mean anymore right you know, but like, 
thinking about how like a, la- a lot of a lot of times these labels like kind of like put people in these positions where they felt like all right now that they have to uphold like, like I don't know these, this image of this persona or these values and just that they didn't really want that that wasn't them right so they were just just putting on this sort of like act just for like public appearance kind of thing and I get it now, right? But at the time when writing a song like that, you just all you want to do is just point your finger at someone who broke, you know, who broke down. I guess it's sort of like a, a, a younger version of me feeling justified thinking like that, right? Because he's like, oh. I think that even though you and I know that the song is referring to like veganism and straight edge and you're talking about sellouts and stuff i think how i always heard it was just somebody that uh professed to be one way and then ended up not really living up to the this this kind of facade that they put on i think that i just always saw it more as just somebody kind of uh turning their back on in general values that they had and i also need you to know that for all the wrong reasons you won't be forgotten was an AOL instant messenger away message on a regular basis. <laughs> I think that's, it was just, that's that, that song, the whole prophecy of just, uh, I mean, that song definitely meant something to you, huh? Like you definitely felt something, some vibe with that last line, huh? To make it into your AOL. Uh... Oh yeah. I just, I needed people to know <laughs> that this was my, <laughs> this was my mood at the time. They're probably, yeah, they're probably like, all right, this guy's definitely going to get back to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were probably like, he's he's definitely away. Like, he's too busy to talk right now. But while he's gone, what he needs yeah. me to know. No, but I mean, it's, it's weird to think about that now because, like, it's, God, it's, it's, it's this whole thing about overthinking stuff. But, it, yeah, it's, it's just one of those moments where you can feel like, okay, maybe listening to, and in my head, like, at least how I, perceived that song whenever I got on stage with it, it was like the whole vegan, the whole straight is the whole sort of like the clicks of hardcore sort of like vibe to it. But I think when you can look, if you look at those lyrics, that can affect that, that can really just cross over into so much, you know, nowadays, back then, any of this time in between where it's like, yeah, there's just a lot of, I mean, if you want to talk in like, just when you turn on the news and look at politics and stuff like that, it's just like, you know, just, just seeing what people promise, what people deliver, and, and then it, yeah. you know, it's also for me to self-reflect too, like getting on stage and seeing a lot of that stuff. It's like, you know, I always thought like I, I grew up in like a disciplined household. My father was like a, you know, like a, like a drill sergeant, sort of like real disciplinarian dude, right? When I was growing up, he was real strict with me. I felt like I went, I took that with me into my adult years growing up and trying to keep my life together. Right. And then when you go through years where you feel like things fall apart, right, that's, that's like almost me singing a song about myself. Right. You're supposed to be up there singing about having things in order and you're in control and you're, you know, you're, you know, you're strong and and you, you have a voice. But then, you you know, just like that, like you fall into these zones where you feel like you don't have things together. So it's like, man, I thought you're supposed to be the strong one here. With how, well, you're falling apart. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a way of singing about my own shortcomings. Right, and it's it's weird to to go back and play some of these songs, to think about how things change, and then you, it's it's not like you're singing these songs anymore, pointing the fingers at people. It's like a lot of the times I feel more comfortable playing these because it's like I'm singing about me. It's one thing to point fingers at other people, but like when you see how 
these things ultimately can affect you. It's, it's sort of like a grounding experience, like to help you grow up and realize like, hey, this is not a good way to go about things in life, always pointing fingers at other people because we're all, we all got our weaknesses. We all have our like insecurities and shortcomings, right? So like, that's what I've, I think I, when looking back at these songs, that's what, it, you know, I, I've learned the most from. <laughs> For me, trying to write a new album now, it's like I don't want to write about the same negative kind of things anymore, right? Because I feel like we there are things that we have control over, and there's a lot of things we don't have control over, right? So why don't we just focus on the things that we can control, you know, like how we eat, how we live, how we exercise, how, you know, our control of our health, the things that we can do, right? Rather than always trying to complain about the, you know, the government or they did this and this is the reason why I'm, you know, this way and blah, blah, blah. Like something that for me, the thing that seems so obvious for me to think about now, but like back then it was, you know, it was always like the finger was always in another direction. What is something that you would do differently with California looking back on it? I know that lyrically, you know, you're thinking about just how you're a different person now and things like that. But as far as what is something that you know now that you wish you could have applied to these songs? It, it takes years to learn how to like to 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 say what you want to say in the way that you're happy with, right? But I think I could have just the, the the way you want to say things. It's like I wish I had a chance to go back and re-record that album, right? And and just not be worried about am I going to lose my voice by the end of this studio session? Just like give it my all, like the entire time I'm there. And if I got to crap out after like two or three songs that day, come back the next day. You know, like, give it my all. Like, I felt like maybe I held back a little to try and scream in a way that wouldn't make me lose my voice. But then I listen to that record now. It's like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I ever, I don't, I sound like that. If I, if I try to scream a song now, like, I don't think it just doesn't sound like, like me. I feel like we could have been more, it was to try to try to make the, the songs too uh, polished before we got it done. Like, I wish we had some of that sense, that vibe of the demo when we just, man, this is it. We just put the song together quick and it was just raw. It was fun. You know, it wasn't necessarily spontaneous, but it, it was just like, it was just straight energy. I guess those would probably be the biggest things I wish I could change about that. You know, other than that, like, I, I probably wouldn't name it California, but I wouldn't, I didn't have any idea what else to call it, right? So it's like, when it comes down to just like the the whole delivery of it all, I just wish it was more intense i guess you know and it's like more i don't know how you put it like genuine like if i'm gonna go in there and sound like i'm screaming i should just go in there and belt it out right not try to like hold back so i'm not so i'm not dying you know by the end of that day so i have room to do another whatever five songs the next day i don't know how many two or three days i had to do that whole thing it sucked i just wish i could have just you know it was it was a learning experience man like it is that's just like a moment in time right there the way that came out is just the way things were at the time. What is something you like about California more than any other First Blood record? Probably a lot of the same things I was just telling you now about like what I was dissatisfied with. Like, I think as time went on, it became even more like OCD, more overthinking, overanalyzing songs or lyrics or rather than just focusing on the vibe. I think the next album became like way more like, I guess it was, I, I put a lot of thought in the lyrics, but I, I also put a lot of thought in the music where everything was just like drawn out and built up and, you know, long intros. And a lot of it was just like, 
like being a nerd and sitting on a guitar and like riffing something out. It's like, oh, I want to include all of this in here when it didn't need to be there. Like I just like I thought the whole point was just to, to just to, to deliver and just slam like in your face sort of like vibes to people with the music and everything. And I think maybe that was a little lost. And that's what I liked about California because it still had a little bit, maybe a little bit of that rawness. Not as much as I wish it had, but it had definitely some more, I guess, of that just like raw energy than some of the later albums. I mean, I, I think that was like the only era where it was the band was actually in California, right? Where most of the guys were, were you know, together in a sense, right? It was a fun era. We definitely had relationships that were fun at that point. Living in the van, being on the road, trying to make it happen, trying to unite, like lead people with a common kind of goal together, right? That was the challenge. Because it's like, when you're part of a machine that's been going for a, for a bit, and you just know that it, you just do what it takes to keep it going, right? Sometimes it was just like, it was hectic, or dudes are yelling at each other, and that's what got people in line to make things happen, and then dudes to, you know, to make sure they were rehearsed, or they had the mindset that, hey, we got to go, it's go time, let's go, let's go. It was like the probably the the shortest era of the band where we actually tried to be a band, right? And it really it it got to the point where I realized it it just that that wasn't meant to be with this, right? Because when it came down to writing and recording, there was only really one or two people doing that. And no one else really did or wanted to, right? And that's, for me, it's like, could I have been a better uh, motivating factor to try to be like, hey, I thought we're trying to like, we're trying, we're trying to live this and we're trying to like, you know, we're trying to say something we're trying to get on the road and do something like, like, yeah, let's step it up. Let's try to get some, uh, Let's get some more ideas on the table. Let's try to like, what are we trying to do here? Like, you know, try to create some sort of like some mission, you know, like that, that's what was like where it ultimately fell apart where I was like, man, it's, it's, it's hard leading other people when I have all these ideas and I just want to put them down. I definitely, it got to the point where I just put them down myself. Well, you have this too. I was thinking about this earlier that if like a piece of merchandise could go platinum, that that red hoodie would be. <laughs> oh my God. It would have a plaque. To this day. Yeah, there's kids. How come you don't have that red hoodie? Every tour, almost every tour. Do you guys got the red hoodies? Every tour. I can't believe it because it was the one of the most ridiculous things. It's like I've a ever- parody of a hoodie. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, I mean, we literally had kids. Like, I remember we played a show. It was like one of these really random shows. It was like Ohio or something. I don't know. Like, there there was a venue with another venue across the street. There was a line of kids to get in the, to our show. There's a line of kids to get into another show. I think it was like Born of Osiris or some like real, like a different scene, like a tech metal, like progressive metal. And we had some like just, I don't know, dumb mosh bands playing together all across the street. Kids came over when they saw us like unloading the trailer, right? And I guess a box of merch tipped over and a whole bunch of these red hoodies fell out on the sidewalk. And a bunch of kids came over from across the street from some metal show. Hey, you got those red hoodies for sale? And they just wanted to buy this hoodie having no idea what it was or the band or anything. They just wanted to get this hoodie, right? 
Or it would be some other kid coming up to the Mercy who's like, hey, man, I got, I got sent home from school. And when I got home from school, my mother burned my hoodie. So can, can I buy another one? <laughs> or something. Or the, the cops came into this restaurant where I was sitting and they, they wanted to kick me out because I had this vulgar expletive kind of, you know, it was like this ridiculous, bright red, outrageous piece of merchandise has lived on for all of these years and it just won't will never die you know when the bomb hits all that will be left are the cockroaches and the red first blood hoodie (laughs) yes forever forever living on i don't think there's like a ubiquitous merch item thing that happens anymore but back then there was that man overboard defend pop punk shirt (laughs) yeah there was the red first fucking they drew first like just the fuck word was all over this hoodie and everybody had one yeah. For no reason. I would never wear merchandise with that word on it. You know, I would never, I don't even know how it happened, but I never even wanted to use vulgarity on merchandise, ever. And it, it went from that from that frame of mind to crossing over, like, literally, it, it's not like a baby step. It's like it's like jumping off the Empire State Building. And it was like, to, to the brightest garment you can choose. And it said fuck on literally every appendage, like the front, each arm, I think it said fuck on the hood. It said fuck you with an exclamation point. Like, <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. Thanks so much to Carl for looking back on this album with us and sharing these stories. First Blood is still out there doing it internationally. You can follow them on Instagram at First Blood Rules. And you know what? You could have already heard this episode early and ad-free on patreon.com slash meetmepod. But even though it was too late for this one, you don't have to make the same mistake twice. So go ahead and log on there now and get it done. But in the meantime, you can follow me and the show on Instagram at meetmepod. My name is Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Meep. And yes, that's the best that I could come up with. Bye!